Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Hey, what's up, guys? It is Monday, March 31st, 2014, and this is episode three of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. I, of course, am your host, Derek Diamond. Hopefully, you guys had a very productive week and a very relaxing weekend. Today, we're going to be having a very special guest on the show, but before we get into that, I want to give my word of the week. This I heard in a movie, and again, like last week, it was one that I had never heard of until I actually heard it in context. The word of the week is fugazi, which I believe is an Italian word, and the definition of it is fake. So say, to use it as an example, cubic zirconia is a fugazi diamond, meaning it's a fake diamond. And I heard this word in a movie that I've wanted to see for the last couple of months, but I didn't get to see it in theaters but it just came out on DVD, and I rented it from the PlayStation 4 store. It's The Wolf of Wall Street with Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill. It's got an awesome appearance from Matthew McConaughey. And, of course, it's directed by the great Martin Scorsese. I really like this movie because the acting in it was really, really good. Like, you would think of Jonah Hill as strictly a comedy actor, but... He actually did a really, really good job, and it impressed the crap out of me with how well he did in a serious role. And Leo is great as always, and a lot of people were upset that he didn't win an Oscar from this movie, but if you think about it, he's he's going to be acting for another 30 years probably, so he'll, he'll definitely get an Oscar, so I, I wouldn't worry about that too much. The only thing I'll say about this movie that I didn't like is it was a little bit too long. I think it was just under the three-hour mark. I think they could have cut probably 30 minutes out of it. Like, if it was two and a half hours, I would have been okay with it, because some of it just... There were times that it kind of drug on a bit, so... If you're not a fan of longer movies, just keep that in mind. But I, I recommend it to anyone that is a fan of cinema. And I will warn you that if there are any guys that are listening to this show, do not watch it with your wife or girlfriend because it's a very narcissistic, uh, it's a it's a chauvinistic pig male driven movie. So just keep keep that in mind. And I won't give away any of the actual references because it's it's one of those movies that you really need to see. But just keep that in mind. And another thing I want to say before we get to our guest is I've been working on a script and a treatment for a movie that I want to make later on this year. It's it's kind of a real-life-based story, but I don't want to give away too much of it until I actually complete it because I don't want to set any kind of high or low expectation, really more with myself than with other people. But once that's completed, I will give out more information on the show because I, I want to use this as kind of my production show for it. If I can get this project off the ground and have some of the behind the scenes people or some of the actors, actresses and whatnot to help promote it. And also over the next few weeks, I will be having some local aspiring actors, models and directors that are currently working on projects in the Pensacola area so they can give a chance to promote and tell their story. Because again, this this show is about other people telling their stories. So hopefully you guys will be looking forward to that. And as far as our guest this week, I've mentioned that I'm a huge fan of podcasting. And one that I've listened to since I met Steve Scott, a comic book artist at Pensacon, is his show called The Pop Culture Palette. Well, we had Steve on on the Nerd Cave a couple of weeks after Pensacon, and he was fantastic. He's, his work is really good. He's a great talker. He's very well-versed in pop culture news, and he's, he's got an opinion on everything, which is great. And today, I will be interviewing and talking to his co-host on the pop culture palette, Jason Robbins. And I didn't know a lot about Jason until I went back and listened to the 
very first episode of the Pop Culture Palette, where I learned that he was actually in a rock band called Fall As Well, and that band actually toured with Three Doors Down back in the mid to early 2000s, and back then, Three Doors Down was the biggest band on the planet, and we we actually talk about that. We talk a lot about the music scene today as compared to even back then, which it, it, thinking about it, it's 10 years ago, but it's changed so much in that short of time span, which is pretty insane. And he's also got a lot of upcoming projects, like he's actually doing animation for an upcoming movie that they're hoping to get released. And he was just a really, really fun guy to talk to. He had a lot of great, interesting stories. Like he he talks about Hurricane Katrina because he actually lives in Biloxi. So he was pretty much at ground zero for a lot of the damage that happened during that storm. So he talks about that and it's, is actually a pretty deep conversation, which I, I wasn't expecting it to go that route, but it was really, really good. But I'll shut up now. And here's the Jason Robbins interview. I'm now joined along with my special guest this week. He is a musician, former EMT, animator, podcaster, and I feel like he has way more accomplishments than what I just named. My guest this week is Jason Robbins. Jason, how you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I don't have to record or edit or upload or write show notes. I just get to sit on here and talk. It's awesome. Oh, so you're that guy too when you do your podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I can I can relate to you on that one. For the Nerd Cave and really any show I do, I'm always the one that edits it, uploads it, puts the synopsis, promotes it, and everything. So I can I can feel your pain on that one. Yeah, I mean it's fun to do. Like we were talking about earlier, it's a labor of love. But, you know, in the Nerdcast, we're up to 72 episodes, and I'm just like, I don't want to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on those shows that can go a lot longer than normal. Yeah. Those, I remember one time we did a three-hour show. Jeez. And uh, it, it still pains me to this day to think of how long it took to sit there and edit. Well, it gets a lot easier as you go along. When, I, when we first started, I would... We would do the show, and then I would immediately go back and edit it immediately afterwards. So I would basically listen to the entire show and, you know, tighten everything up and make it sound good. And it would take about two and a half, three hours to do like an hour show. And then mm -hmm. by like the 20th episode, I was just like, you know what? I don't care if there's spaces or people mess up. I, I just don't care. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to put it up like it is. Yeah, I'm... I'm pretty close to that point, honestly. Like, I, I'll still listen and I'll, I'll sit down and listen to every episode or the entire episode because I know that the one time I don't, there's going to be some kind of error or a hiccup, and it's yeah. it's going to kill me. If that well, usually happens. what I do now, like with um, with Pop Culture Palette, with me and Steve, I'll just go ahead and um, do like a quick edit where I know there. I'll keep a mental note as we're doing the show. Mm -hmm. And I'll go back and do little quick fixes, and then I'll, you know, put it in my iTunes and listen to it the next day when I'm at work, and make little notes of you know little things I need to do and the timestamps, so I can just go into that that time and and fix it at you know at that certain point, and I don't have to listen to the whole thing again. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. I might start doing that. So you're you're already the best guest because you're telling me ways to make my shows better. Yeah, I mean it's not so bad when you, you know you go and you're at work and you're you're doing other things and you're listening to it at the same time. But you know once you do the show and then you go back and listen to it again while you're sitting at your computer and you're just like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. So you you live in Biloxi, Mississippi, correct? Yes, actually I live right outside of Biloxi, a little. Um, community called St. Martin. It's right oh, okay. in between Biloxi and Ocean Springs. Are you from Mississippi? Yes. Um, I grew up in a little tiny town, if you can even call it that. It's called Wool Market, right, it, it, just north of Biloxi. 
Oh, okay. I, I haven't I haven't heard of that place, but I I live in a small town that's about uh, 30, 40 miles north of Pensacola that most people have never heard of. So I can I can relate. <laughs> Walmart is one. tiny. I mean, the downtown area is like a Dollar General. No joke. That's that's, that's pretty much ours too. We have <laughs> we have a Dollar General, a grocery store, and a Subway. And that's See, we don't even it. have that out there. My parents still live out there. And uh, it's a lot of churches and um, mm-hmm. storage places <laughs> and farms. Yeah, I can relate to you on that. So you're, I know you've been in a band and you currently do art and animation. Have you always been a huge fan of both of these things? Always, ever since I was old enough to hold a pencil. Or, you know, like I've, my dad was a musician and my brother was a musician. So that was I, I was always surrounded by music when I was a kid, and um, I always loved comic books and cartoons. Like I still watch cartoons because I'm just a huge fan of animation and and that type of stuff. So I I always wanted to be either a musician or a comic book artist when I grew up. I did one of those things. I'm still working on the other. What uh, cartoons did you watch growing up, and which ones do you still watch today? Oh, man. Um, well, Bugs Bunny is always a favorite. I have all the Looney Tunes collections. Um, always like the Disney movies, um, like Sword in the Stone. Robin Hood is my favorite Disney movie. Um, always like the Disney cartoons like DuckTales, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, uh, Gargoyles, all that type of stuff. Batman the Animated Series. Um, I even like the cartoons from like the early '80s too, like the uh, what was the name of that animation house? Um, the one that did He Man and all that kind of stuff. I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it. I just right on the tip of my tongue, man. But mm-hmm. all those kind of cartoons, I love those, like Dungeons and Dragons. Like I still mm-hmm. love all those cartoons. Yeah, what, what's awesome is the whole streaming media like Netflix and Hulu is I've noticed that they've started to come out with more classic stuff, which is awesome. Which one, one thing that Netflix is missing is the old Batman animated series. Yeah. I've actually gotten them on the D on the DVD queue Mm -hmm. because I'm kind of broke right now and I can't afford to go buy them. (laughs) So whenever I want to watch them, I just get them on the DVD queue. Yeah, it, that's that's awesome because you just named a ton of cartoons that you know I watched back in the day as well. What uh, you said, your brother and your dad were musicians. Yeah, my dad played guitar, um, and you should see his house now. It's full of guitars, and um, he's he's had custom made banjos and all kind of old. Like just the craziest type of instruments you can think of, and you know, my brother was a guitar player, and I kind of went the other direction. I took up drums. Uh, I gotcha. I gotcha. But I always grew up. You know, my dad was big in the like '60s music, so I grew up listening to like the Doors and Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles and stuff like that. So that's what influenced me growing up. Did uh, when you went to school? Did you go to school for graphic design? Uh, well, I did get my art degree from uh, Jefferson Davis Community College here on the coast. And um, I was going to go and get my bachelor's in graphic design, but every graphic designer I knew at the time told me not to waste my money just to go ahead and I could learn more on my own than I could in school. That's kind of the same thing with film because I, I wanted to go and get my bachelor's degree in film, but everyone told me that you'll learn way more by actually shooting and editing things yourself, which it, it turned out to be true. And that's the thing. I was actually going, was thinking about going for the um, film and TV bachelors, and I was told the same thing on that. So I was like, well, hell, what, what the hell's college for then? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When did your band uh, Fall As Well get together? Well, they were actually called Drop and Trowel. When I first joined the band, um, that's awesome. Their their drummer had left, and I was in another band at the time called Ferrigno, and um, 
we played a bunch of shows together and their drummer quit. And um, I told them I would play a few shows with them until they found somebody. And then I started playing with them and magic happened. So I decided to quit my other band and join them full time. And uh, we started to gain a lot of local notoriety and um, got hooked up with Todd Harrell and, and Chris from three doors and they sent us to seattle to record our album in 2003 that's that's wild because three doors down is actually my all-time favorite band so i went back and listened to the first episode of pop culture palette with you and steve scott and when you mentioned that you went on tour with three doors down i was like holy shit that's (laughs) that's pretty wild what what was it like touring with them um there was some crazy stuff, you know, stuff I really can't talk about. Um, but as far as like what it felt like to walk out in front of those audiences every night, because at that time they were the biggest rock band on the planet between, you know, the early two thousands and we went on tour with them and it was Oh four. And, um, we were opening up for them to like, 14,000 seat arenas and it mm-hmm. was just I, I can't even begin to describe what that feels like you know it's just it I can't even I don't have the words for it, it I, and most of the shows like I can't I don't even remember anything because it's like kind of like you black out because there's so many people that you just your brain stops working yeah that's I, I can't even imagine how that felt, you know, being not just with that band, but playing, like you said, in huge venues like that, because they they were the band of the early and mid 2000s. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I could I don't know who's listens to your show, but, uh, you know, if they were little kids or whatever in the early 2000s. I mean, it's hard to describe how huge of a band that they were, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's crazy to know that they're from my neck of the woods and these guys are selling millions of albums and they're really like the last rock band to be able to sell that many albums because the whole landscape has cha- of music has changed since then, you know, yeah. like, I think the biggest selling rock albums of the last couple of years only sold like maybe half a million copies. But at, you know, in 04, those guys were selling, you know, 10, 12, 15 million copies of their albums. It was just stupid. Yeah. What are your thoughts on today's music scene as compared to back then? Because if you think about it, it's, it's 10 years ago, but it's, not that long of a time, but yet the music scene is so different. It seems like, cause I, I don't really keep up with music today, but from what I can tell it, it seems a lot different. Honestly. I mean, the music industry has changed so much in so short a time. And I think things like, um, what's the name of that show? American idol mm-hmm. and shows like that have really ruined the record industry. And I think rock and roll is dead, basically. We're never going to see the, um, another Led Zeppelin or The Doors or even another Three Doors. It's just, it's not going to happen. There's too much crap pop music out there. I mean, even when I was a kid, like back in the 80s and even in the 90s, like pop music, you could still listen to it because it had heart to it. And now it's like I listen to the radio and it's just garbage. Yeah. I can't, you know, there's no, there's no heart. There's no soul to it. It's all about look at me, look and what, um, what crazy shit can I do this week? Can I curse on your show? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I do it. So it's all good. It, it's not about music. It's all about how outrageous can I be? You know, what kind of stupid shit can I do? this week to get myself into the media instead of just playing your music and letting that speak for you. It becomes more about the person than the music. 
Exactly. I mean, that's like I said, you're the the world at large right now, you know, the internet generation, they're not gonna go for bands who write seven minute epics. You know, the bands like Rush, they still have their hardcore fan base and that fan base will, will you know, those people are having kids and stuff whose kids might be into it, but you know, 99.9% of the population, they're not going to get into bands like Rush or Led Zeppelin or anything like that. You know, there's never going to be another Stairway to Heaven on the radio, ever. It'll never happen again. Yeah, that just changes the face of music. That That's one thing that I wish, I, and I'm going to sound like an, an old fart when I say this, but someone from my generation doesn't have that band or that artist that changed music like you had Elvis you had the Beatles mm-hmm. you had Led Zeppelin and you know Nirvana was in the 90s so I guess maybe you could count them but no one from like when I'm in my 20s that I can see that's changed the face of music or at least in a good way anyway. well that's the thing you know music is always supposed to push cultural boundaries and cause like a paradigm shift in cult in American culture you know, like when Nirvana broke in the 90s, the music scene was horrible before yeah. they came out, you know, and then they just kind of, you know, lit the world on fire and made people love music again. And next thing you know, there's huge festivals like Lollapalooza and there's bands like Tool and uh, Smashing Pumpkins and all those bands. And I just don't see that happening again. I just don't. I don't know how it would. Yeah, I can very vaguely remember and also from what people have told me when, you know, you had all the hair bands like Poison and Motley Crue and Winger and then Nirvana just comes along and the whole industry changes. But even those bands, you know, it's just it's the same thing, just different uh, aesthetics, I guess, like in the 80s. You know, you had all the the hair bands, but it was still a cultural thing. You know, people that were into that type of music, you knew who those people were. You know, in the 90s, people that were into grunge and that type of stuff, you knew who those people were. And MTV was huge and playing videos all the time. And now it's like, does music influence culture like it did then? Yeah. And I don't think so. Oh, you're... I, I agree a hundred percent. So, moving after your music career, what made you decide to be an EMT? It was something I've always kind of thought about that it would be a really interesting job to have. And to be honest, it was something that I never thought I would be able to do. And I'm the type of person that if I don't think I can do something, I'll do it just to spite myself, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I just want to prove to myself that I can do it. And I never in a million years would have thought I would have been an EMT, but eventually there I am sitting on an ambulance going, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? Um, I enjoyed the job. It's a really cool job. But it takes a certain kind of person to work that job because I don't deal with stress well. Um, and it's a very stressful job. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of quit doing it is because you don't really get paid for the amount of stress that you're under. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I didn't want to have a heart attack when I was when I'm 45 because of the amount of stress that you're under in that job. Mm-hmm. But... I really did like it, um, and I would still be there today if I would have gotten paid what I felt like that job is worth. Mm-hmm. And utmost respect to you know EMTs and firefighters and policemen and all those guys because they don't get paid a lot of money. And to do that job, I mean, people have to give those people respect, you know. Because mm-hmm. it's a calling, you know. It's something you have to want and love to do. 
because you're not going to be a millionaire doing it. Yeah, so it's definitely one of those things that you have to enjoy to do. Yeah. So once you stop being an EMT, is that when you moved into doing like illustration and graphic design stuff? Yeah. Um, really, honestly, I stopped doing my artwork around 2005. And that was actually, it might have been a little bit before that because I was so focused on music at that time. I really didn't focus on my artwork. Um, and then Hurricane Katrina hit and all of my artwork, except for maybe a couple of sketchbooks, actually survived. And um, it really kind of just made me not want to do it anymore, you know, just to lose all that work. And um, around 2010, after I had met my wife, she looked at some of my stuff that had survived and she, you know, she kind of pushed me to, um, you know, get back into painting and drawing and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of snowballed from there, you know, getting into like web comics and all that kind of stuff and graphic design. So I really got to credit her for putting me where I am right now you know because if it wasn't for her i wouldn't have started drawing again and because of her and you know my mother-in-law is how i met up with um eddie and stacy the people who are writing the animated movie Wamingo that i'm working on and i got hooked up with them because of my mother-in-law and it just i've been doing that for the last year working on that movie before I ask you about the movie itself, you mentioned Hurricane Katrina. And I know Hurricane Ivan back in 2004, it, it hit this area pretty badly. But Katrina was more like the Louisiana, Mississippi area. What what was that like? Because I've never – I haven't talked to anybody that actually went through that storm, like where it was hit the worst. It was – the only time in my life that I actually thought I was going to die. Wow. And when you're faced with that, it's kind of like you either go one of two ways. You either do what I did, and I kind of went into a deep depression for a while because afterwards, it was like everything I'd ever known was gone. And I didn't recognize familiar places anymore. And when you're somebody like me who doesn't deal with change very well, when Hurricane Katrina hit, you know, I lost contact with the guys in the band. You know, we didn't know if we were, if each other were even alive for like weeks on, you know, like at least six weeks. Um, and, Everything kind of fell apart after that. You know, the band broke up. Um, my grandfather died a few months afterwards, and I, I went into a deep depression for a while after the storm. Um, it's not something I ever want to go through again. Uh, and if another storm that big comes into the Gulf, I'm leaving because I can't go through that again. You know, just weeks on end of no power. Um, living like a caveman, not knowing if your loved ones are alive or not, and no communication with the outside world. It was terrible. I, I can't even, I don't have another word besides terrible. It's crazy to go into that area still today because I, I haven't been to Louisiana in like two or three years, but there's still areas that, were never recovered from that storm. And I, I'm sure in in your area, it's probably the same way. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's places on the coast that I've been to a thousand times, but ever since the storm, I still get lost sometimes, especially driving along Highway 90, because all of the landmarks that I grew up knowing were gone. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you don't, when you're from an area, you don't pay attention to like, you know, the names of roads and stuff like that. And you don't really think about that 
until everything that you know is gone like all the landmarks and everything and you're just driving along a, a street you've driven a, a thousand times and you're like where the hell am i at yeah it's a strange feeling man like i you know i think the coast is getting better now like it's a lot nicer because you know they're fixing up things better than they were before but it's still got a long way to go yeah that that's I couldn't have put that any better. It's it's still the same around here. Like in, in the town I live, there were buildings and businesses that were, their buildings were gone like that, and they were never able to recover. Just because when you, it, it's crazy to think that you can work so hard to get something, and then like that, it's gone. And the funny thing is, you mentioned Hurricane Ivan. Um, after that storm... Uh, fall as well along with um, Adam ship and uh, who else was it 12 stones we had a big concert on the coast here um, as a benefit for the Red Cross for that storm which was actually like one of the last couple of shows that we actually played well I didn't even know that that's that's really really awesome yeah, that was a fun show, man. That was actually, we had a really big, nice um, concert hall that was in front of the Grand Casino, which blew away in Hurricane Katrina. It's not, it's no longer there. That's crazy. So, moving on to the movie you talked about, Wamingo, what exactly are you doing for that, and could you describe what the movie is about? Well, I am doing the character creation and um, doing a lot of uh, illustrations and stuff. Like, I've done a lot of storyboarding. Um, We're actually, right now, uh, I'm doing a lot of artwork for the children's book that we're doing uh, that goes along with it. Um, And really, it's just kind of like, you know, Eddie and Stacy have done 99.9% of the writing. I just kind of throw in a few things here and there i'll come up with some characters or you know if they're stuck on something i'll kind of throw some ideas out there on how to get past certain things um but really my job is just to do character creation which has been one of the most rewarding things i've ever done because as much as i love playing music being a a lone artist sitting in my little studio you know office here and just working on characters and i don't have to rely on anybody else it's just me it's awesome that's cool so what what is the what's the actual movie about well it's about a uh, a flamingo who owns a club in miami um and a hurricane comes through and he gets swept up to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to Ocean Springs. And the movie is just about him meeting all these different characters on the coast and finding his long lost brother and his making his way back home and the people he meets along the way. It's all about uh, the meaning of friendship and family and, you know, all those cool little moral lessons that you get from kids movies yeah yeah i i've seen some of your character designs and they're they're really really good cool thank you when will the movie be finished and once it's finished how will people be able to see it well right now we're still in the pitching stage um we i've actually got a trailer made for the movie but it's more for just our pitch um, to be able to pitch it to the movie companies, which we actually have some uh, meetings coming up the next couple of months to hopefully we'll be able to sell it. And um, hopefully it'll be out within the next couple of years. Cool. Cool. Yeah, once once more information comes out, I'll, I'll definitely plug it, and I'm I'm interested in seeing it. 
for sure. Well, if, if anybody wants to go look at my character designs, they can go to facebook.com slash Wamingo. It's J-U-A-M-I-N-G-O. And they can keep up with our progress there. Cool. Moving on to yet another one of your awesome accomplishments, the world of podcasting. How did you get into podcasting? <laughs> that was one of the things that brought me out of my depression. Um, around 2008 or so is when I discovered podcasting. And I really got into it because ever since I was a kid, I always loved talk radio. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, I grew up listening to, to radio shows like um, Dr. Demento and stuff like that. And as I got older, I got into Howard Stern. And then there was a show I used to listen to out of Florida called The Monsters of the Midday. And I always wanted to have a radio show of my own. So I bought myself a MacBook Pro and told my friend Wally, because we had talked about doing a, a podcast for years. So about 2010, I got myself a computer, a really good MacBook, and we were off and running at that point. Do you use GarageBand to record it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, we still do that to this day. That, that's crazy because that's almost like a mirror image of how we started the Nerd Cave. That's, and isn't it awesome when you first do your show and you, you're just like, wow, it's it, as complicated as it seems, it's not. No, it's really not. The hardest thing is actually finding time to do it. Yeah, that is the hardest thing to do. It's like right now, you know, we had we talked about this earlier. You know, we um the nerdcast, we're up to seventy-two episodes now, and we used to be weekly, but with everything going on with me, we had to go down to once a month. So we're on the slow crawl to a hundred. Well, you guys are still pretty close though. I mean it's still seventy something episodes. That's that's a big accomplishment for friends just getting together and doing a podcast because most people they'll try it out but after three or four episodes they'll either get tired of it or they won't have the time to do it it's just the committing to doing it is the hardest step but if you can commit to it you know it it's cool to see how better it gets because not too long ago i listened to the first thing we ever recorded and it was absolute garbage compared to what we're doing now. <laughs> I now know I've I've done the same thing. I've gone back and listened to the first couple of episodes of the of the Nerdcast, and I was like, "Wow, those were <laughs> bad." Yeah, I, I think everybody feels that way about their earlier stuff that that they recorded. How how did you meet Steve Scott, and what made you guys decide to do your other show, The Pop Culture Palette, which I'm a huge fan of? And I'm not saying that because I'm interviewing you. I actually really enjoy the show. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Um, I met Steve because I live right down the street from Three Alarm Comics in St. Martin. And um, he works out of there. Like He has an office in the, uh, the comic book store. So I had met him there and asked him to come on to the Nerdcast. And we did a couple episodes with him. And uh, he really enjoyed it. And asked me if I wanted to do another show with him. And we talked about, you know, it, it was probably about six months before we actually recorded our first show. We were trying to come up, you know, with exactly what kind of show we wanted to do, um, how often we were going to do it, you know, doing all that kind of preliminary stuff. And um, we kind of came out of the, you know, the gate guns blazing, man, like, our first couple of guests, I mean, we've only done 11 episodes, but we've had some amazing guests on our show. Mm -hmm. And that's all due to Mr. Steve Scott, because he's got some amazing connections. Yeah, he's he's a really, really cool guy. We met him at Pensacon back in February, and we were going to interview him for our Pensacon episode, but his table was so busy that he just didn't have the time, so... We just got his contact information, and we recently had him on as a guest host, and and he was great. Like it, what's crazy is that we were gonna interview him about like his early comic career and what he's doing now and stuff he has coming up, but it started out that way, but it eventually just turned into a conversation. Like we talked about upcoming movies, 
uh, a little bit about current comic books and and things like that. So that's to me the best podcasts are when you've got two or three people that know each other or have really good chemistry and they just talk. And that's a good thing with Steve, man, is that dude loves to talk. Yes, and he does. I could sit and listen to him for hours, man, because he's just like a he is a wealth of information, man. Mm-hmm. And I got to credit him too for kind of mentoring me over the past couple of you know past couple of years, man. Just because, like, like I said, I always wanted to be a comic book artist. So when I first got back into drawing everything and everything, I, I one of my goals was to be a comic book artist. So I would take my stuff to Steve and ask him, you know, how how am I doing? And he would, not, I don't want to say harsh, but he would always be very honest with me and tell me, you know, this is good, this is not good, you need to work on this. So it kind of really helped me develop into, you know, my style and what I'm really good at. Like, I'm not very good with realism like he is, but mm-hmm. I am good at doing like cartoonish type stuff like that type of of art so i've really embraced it over the past couple of years and now it's got me doing characters for a movie so you know find what you're good at and go for it man yeah yeah i i completely agree mentioning art there was i can't remember if it was on your last episode or it might have been the one before you mentioned a name that i was very vaguely familiar with. Like I knew what he did. I just didn't know how good he was at it and how iconic his work is. And that is Drew Struzan. Oh, Mr. Drew Struzan. I Googled him and looked at his, his website with examples of his work. And I was like, Oh my God. He's one of those names that you may not know his name, but you know, his work. That that literally like it. This phrase has become overused in my mind, but my mind was blown when I looked at his work. I was like, "Holy crap! This guy has done the best movie posters of all time." Yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of this dude since I was old enough to walk, man. Because he's been doing movie posters since I was a little kid. You know, he started doing album art like in the late 60s throughout the 70s and then the late 70s into the 80s and 90s. He was doing movie posters. So Mm -hmm. if you've seen Indiana Jones, um, The Goonies, E.T., Big Trouble in Little China, Star Wars, you've seen his movie posters. That uh, that just I can't even talk. (laughs) <laughs> when describing it, it's, it, it's just crazy. And what's cool is the first one that jumped out at me was the Big Trouble in Little China poster because I recently saw that movie, I believe it was about a year ago. I had heard of it, but I'd never gotten the chance to see it. Like, I, I love 80s movies. Those were the types of movies I was raised on, and it, I, I loved it. I mean, it was over it, the top, but most 80 movies are. To an extent. Oh, I still love that movie. And actually, they're doing a comic book series, kind yep. of a continuation of that story. But the funny thing is, is that movie poster, Drew thinks is not very good. It's not one of his favorites, but it's actually probably my favorite poster of his. Really? That, that and um, the uh, Star Wars um, special edition posters that he did. Because I actually have those actual movie posters up on the wall right now. No joke, I do too. I have all three of them. <laughs> yet they're they're on my wall in my room. As a matter of fact, I did artwork to get those posters. I did. Um, there was a movie back in the mid '90s called uh, Gone Fishing, and it had Joe Pesci and mm-hmm. um, Danny Glover. It was a real crap movie, but the movie uh, company wanted each movie theater to do like a big promotion for the movie coming out because it was coming out against something like Jurassic Park 2 or something. So the movie theater manager asked me if I would do uh, paintings on the, uh, the, the glass on the front of the movie theater with like fish and all kind of stuff. And as payment, he gave me the special edition movie posters. That's crazy. That, that's really, really cool though. But the Drew Struzan thing, uh, um, 
I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, a couple months ago, I was talking to Stacy and Eddie about, you know, we're going to present this movie really soon. I want to have a movie poster done by Drew Struzan to, you know, with our presentation. So we got a hold of him and he actually responded back. Um, he said he was retired, but, you know, this is what he charges to do movie posters, which it was pretty expensive, but it's about what you think it would be, but not out of reason. So mm -hmm. we seriously thought about it. And um, then he really decided, he was like, look, you know, I really want to do it, but I'm glad to, you know, I'm happy, happily retired. And he really didn't want to do it, but wished us luck. Well, Stacy and Eddie, you know, Eddie kept an email correspondence with him, getting to know him and told him that I was a huge fan of his and all this stuff. Well, a, a couple of weeks ago, they called me into the office saying they had some new developments on the movie. And I showed up to the office and they handed me this envelope and it was it had no return address on it. And I opened it up and it was a print of a, a Drew Struzan original. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, this is Drew Struzan. And they said, open it up. It folded open and it said, Jason, best wishes, Drew. And it was written in charcoal. And my heart fell out of my chest. It I was one of the most so. amazing things that's ever happened to me. Wow. that That's got to be up there on your most cherished items list. I'm going to be buried with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't blame you there. This is a guy who I've admired his work since before I could speak. And he's he took the time out of his day to write me a personalized note and mail it to me. I mean, and then afterwards, he sent me an email. And, and I'm just like, what, am I in the fucking twilight zone and <laughs> what's going on here it was amazing man like i can't even describe how good that made me feel man like it was it was so inspiring that it was just like it, like just thinking about the movie and the mountain that we're up against to get this thing made and it just gave me a bolt of lightning in my soul that just said you can do this I, I can imagine so. That's, but it, yeah, it's one really... of my most prized possessions. I will never, ever get rid of that. Oh, no. No, you can't do that. Well, one last question I have for you. Besides Wamingo, do you have any other current or maybe even some upcoming projects you have? Um, Let's see. Um, I actually have a bunch of other projects in the works, but they're kind of taking a little bit of a back seat because of the whole Wamingo thing. Um, me and Wally actually have thought about kickstartering a, um, he had written a script for a movie, uh, a zombie movie, which I know everybody's pr probably like, you know, a, oh, a zombie movie, but it's actually a really fresh take on the genre. And we were thinking of doing a, um, like a, a maybe a web series, like a animated web series or something, and we were thinking about kickstarting it. So that might be coming up pretty soon if we decide to go ahead and do that. Yeah, that would be cool because that that's something that it's been beat to death so much that it needs a fresh take. Well, it's I don't really want to give anything away on it, but it, it really is original and I, I it really is a fresh take on it and i think people would be really surprised and i think it would have the potential for people to be really into it on a level of this is really awesome and we want more of this you know and it I, it would have the potential to become huge at least i think it would because wally's an awesome writer and he comes up with really cool, funny stuff. And he's way funnier than I am. So if you ever want to have a guest that's funny, have him on this show. <laughs> I, 
I, I might have to look into doing that because I'm I'm looking for more guests as we speak. Oh, he'd love to do it too. Wally's a good guy. He um actually needs to get another computer, which is why we were late on our uh, latest episode of the Nerdcast because we're waiting on him to get his computer fixed. Yeah, that that's always a pain in the ass. <laughs> so do you have like a, a Facebook or a Twitter that you'd like to plug maybe for yourself and for the movie you have upcoming? Yeah, um, if you want to look at all the artwork and stuff for the movie, you can go to facebook.com slash Wamingo, J-U-A-M-I-N-G-O. You can follow me on Facebook. Just look up Jason Robbins. Um, my Twitter is at jfunktastic. And you can also go to iTunes or Stitcher and look up uh, Broke Nerdcast, which actually we just changed the name to The Dark Quarter, which you can find it either of those ways, The Broke Nerdcast or The Dark Quarter. And, of course, the Pop Culture Palette with me and Steve. And you can follow that on Twitter at PCP Show. Awesome. And Thank- I think that's about it. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Jason. This was a lot of fun. Oh, Thanks for having me, man. We might have to get you uh, either on the Pop Culture Palette or the Nerdcast. For sure. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to work something out. Which, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, well, thank you so much for having me on, man. This is awesome not to have to worry about editing and uploading and all that stuff. <laughs> All right, that's it for the show this week. Once again, I would like to thank Jason Robbins for that really, really good interview. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard in person, honestly, that Hurricane Katrina stuff. And next week on the show, I will be having someone that I met at a convention late last year and have actually had him on more than one episode of The Nerd Cave, but, and that is the creator of the Dust Bunny graphic novel, Brett Brooks. So hopefully you guys tune into that. And don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at DDiamondEXP. And you can follow me personally at Derek underscore Diamond. And I believe that's it. Have a good week.